Look, I found something that is very dear to me. I've been searching for it. Inside is a story, something that I like. Be good and be thinking of for it. Like a bedtime are suitable for life. The living toil and take leisure. They observe and respect their surroundings. They take note of each other and their conditions. Dead labor does no such thing. The lattices of cellular material are left behind as the functioning biomass is washed out. Organic nanoparticles fill the spaces according to design to respond to stimuli in adjustable and predictable fashion. In this way, the discarded bodies of the living are provided to the productive forces to do the essential labor which is best done under inhumane conditions. There are many roads to the city of the dead. The one I took is a quiet little gravel and packed earth country lane, <coughs> which led which led from a pleasant and modest village, roughly 12 kilometers from the entrance to the tunnel. Elderberries and maple provided a bit of shade from the summer heat, and the road followed a lovely little creek as it made its way along the green wood. The bush thickened a bit as we left town, with less care being provided to the maintenance of the path, and poison oak wound its way up through the elderberries. But as we came along further, the older trees and the slopes brought a little bit of order to the madness. And under the canopy, there were ferns and bear berries and all sorts of little orchids and mushrooms sticking out of the fallen logs. We approached the place where the spring disappeared under the rocks, and a dark hole in the mountain breathed its cold air into the gully. 
I hadn't until then realized how much the splendid forest had been keeping me afloat. Now my chest held in numbness, and I felt every inch of myself as if the different parts of me held on to each other out of fear. It's all very silly. A cat meow broke the trance. There had to be roughly a dozen of them. They were gray and calico and black, and one that looked like a cat I used to know. They lounged on the rocks and the fallen trees around the entrance. People in the village talked about them. They seemed friendly, but would scratch you to pieces without fair notice. One of them trotted out of the tunnel and rubbed itself against my leg, and I resisted the urge to pet it. The village was nearly empty of strays, because they were all here for some reason. I gazed down the tunnel and sighed. I kissed my partner on the cheek, double-tracked my water bottle. We said goodbye, and I went into the mountain. New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made, or to even see it as a prison. The tunnel proceeds downward at a comfortable slope. The darkness enfolds me very quickly. Little oil slicks of bright translucence cross my empty vision as my mind tries to fill the space. I focus on my posture, my fingers grazing the wet sandstone walls, my feet gathering all the information they can from the wet gravel. Deeper in the tunnels, the walls are said to respond to living bodies by releasing a soft light if this turns out to be true, I will not need to conserve my own torches, but I stay in the dark anyway in case that's all nonsense. I'm not afraid of falling down some shaft. This entire complex is ADA accessible. It has to be, or none of this would work. <sighs> torches on. If you ever walk this tunnel, keep your torches on or your warm-blooded feet will collide with something cold and wriggling in the gravel, and you might even scream as something goes running down the tunnel before you can get your torch lit. An arm lays in the tunnel floor. It has no body, it has no hand, it extends and contracts stupidly, like a stumpy little worm. Both ends of it have been shredded by its endless motion. I stare at it for a while, until there are thoughts in my head again. This is not a production tunnel. This is an access tunnel. Why is this arm here? Was it making its way up to the surface? We've all heard stories about how one day the dead labor will climb up and swallow the living world. You might think this little arm, a first glimpse of the world below, is a vanguard of the silent hosts. Look closer. Look at the damage to its stumps, all the shredded skin flaps, the protruding bone, the chewable parts are depleting faster than the inedible parts. And I start to feel very chewable myself. I point my torch back up to the tunnel, in the direction I came from. Two eyes shine back at me, and meow. So much for the undead host. The village cats guard the realm of the living. The cat follows me for a little while, 
I watch it as it stalks a finger, inching along on some incomprehensible mission of its own, still wiggling in the cat's mouth as she trots happily back up the road. The torch exposes a solemn and simple rectangular shaft. There's not much to look at, so I listen to the crunch of the gravel as I clomp downward. The crunch is different further down. The gravel is wetter, but also full of little bones. It's so easy to forget how old everything is. A cat like that one, barely older than a kitten, could have hunted down the last remnants of your great-great-great-grandmother down here. The rest of the tunnel, I walk with the torch on, and only my thoughts for company. It ends in a round, flat-bottomed room, with two wider, arched passages extending to the left and right. The ceiling is a rough dome, a little under three meters tall at the walls, maybe four over the center of the room. Still sandstone, gray and beige, it looks like stalactites keep forming and getting knocked down before they grow too large or something. A foot wiggles its toes under the stumps of rock. Unsure of what to do next, I sit on my heels off to the side of the room and turn off the torch. At first, there's total darkness. Psychedelic tracers of the last thing I saw, my mind trying to see where my hands are, to imagine. And then the tracers become too exact, neons being edged out by pastels softer nuances until I can see the details of my dirty hands. Yellow waterproof jacket, shiny wet galoshes. I am fucking glowing. The walls are not glowing. I am glowing. I am the only source of light there is down here. It's disorienting. I dead move in a horrible quietness. The shuffling of tattered footskin against the endless concrete simply disturbs the air and nothing more. Slight variations in barometric pressure provide no signal, only a side effect of the gradual disintegration of an operating unit. Spare parts hang lightly upon crumbling frames. A pair of legs carries cardboard boxes instead of a torso. Mismatched arms swing hammers and turn wrenches. Leather belts convey the products down the line. Turning barrels of teeth grind decaying material into a fine powder suitable for reprocessing. The intricate movements are inhuman. They're like ragged dolls. Every motion warns you that something is there. And at the same time, it's no one. I think this is why we stay away from them, more than just the protocols and cybernetic persuasions. No one is there. You could be looking directly into the eyes of an aunt or an uncle, and it's just parts without a hole. This facility is a reminder of what we are. It shows us the difference between us and our parts. I tremble to think that someday my parts will be down here, shuffling around, doing all the little invisible things that need to be done for the sunny world outside. There's no up and down, 
except what your mind constructs. You have your own internal mechanisms, your inherited structural knowledge, and there's the sensory experience. Whether your eyes are lying, you can only guess by what your ears tell you. And furthermore, we are asked to acknowledge the personhood of others, using only these inadequate tools. There's nothing much for confirmation in any direction, and this is our only freedom from each other. This rattling can rolling down the hill. This is what it has chosen to be. How can I justify a change in its course without acknowledging the similarity in myself? I do not have the technical knowledge to explain the specifics of most of what is happening. They're all around me. They're stacked high on pillars of bone. They crawl across long nets to access production lines without disrupting the dense foot traffic on the floor below. Big carts full of kitchen supplies, garden tools, children's toys. I have come onto a packaging line. Down the conveyor belt come sheets of cardboard. On each side of the belt is a long row of arms. Some are endlessly folding, some endlessly gluing. Each step has an arm. On one end of the room, which turns out to be very large, is a series of holes from which teapots are grabbed and put on the belt in neat straight lines. As they cross the room, the teapots are wrapped and put into boxes for delivery. Then they go into the chaotic area where I first came in. That's where they get loaded into the tubes and sucked up to the post office. The vacuum tubes, which end in villages across the continent, all begin in places like this. Most refined products we use on a daily basis are built by the thousands. I watch the endless repeating motions, imagining the misery of a life spent doing this. It is for the dead, and it is only for the dead. Doing these things makes you dead. Living crafters still make unique gifts or some specialized niche gadgets, but mostly we send our designs to the libraries for everyone to share. At the library, anyone can peruse the collected works of our civilization and make a request for delivery. Down the tube goes a little slip of paper with holes punched in a pattern to identify the product requested. The tubes were always a little bit cold, weren't they? It's chilly down here. The thing that sorts the requests is a globby monstrosity. Protuberances like elephant's trunks extend radially from a wrinkled gray mouth. The requests are fed into the mouth, and a spider web of flayed skin fans out behind it. This could be a nervous system or something. Somehow, the information is processed in this thing and must be passed along these lines out behind it. Either mechanically, or... Do the dead have nerves? Are their minds colonized and replaced by the same substances as their muscles? I can't allow myself to ponder the existence of any kind of consciousness here. It's too terrible. That's it for this fragment of moon that we thefted. I'll get back to you when our hero gets back to the surface with the rest of their writing. And possibly also their body. So long. That's it for now.